Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Mike Lewis, Doug Battle, brought to you by Emory University. Doug, the numbers aren't out just yet, but the Super Bowl early estimates are 120 million people, which would make it the second most watched television program of all time, only following the in, in the U.S. of A. Okay. American-centric, of course. I think I've, I've seen a number that 1.5 billion people watched the FIFA soccer championships yeah. but, you know <laughs> so and look last year it was 115 million so let's just back of the envelope math if that was 75 million men 40 million women if you know you grow the female viewership by 20% that gets you to 48 million women which would get you to a number of 123 million obviously i'm not saying why that was growing but probably a new peak and Doug, I'll tell you, I suspect, I suspect that we have seen the peak for a lot of people on, you know, yesterday, we're taping on Monday. Sunday was the peak for a lot of people. Yeah, I think so. I'm always curious with those estimates. Are they estimating how many people, like how many pairs of eyeballs were watching the Super Bowl? Or are they estimating how many TV sets had the Super Bowl on? Because there's so many group gatherings of different numbers between five and a hundred people across the country. How do they estimate that? Do you have any idea? I think it's like just about anything else. You know, the, the, the estimates are done with some data, some assumptions, some surveys, and then refined and essentially accepted over time. I mean, you think about just about any numbers that are reported, Doug, whether they're government numbers or industry estimates. Right. And, you know, the classic line of you don't want to look at how the sausage is made, right? Just, <laughs> just, the accept it. just accept numbers. Yeah. So, uh, and then another question for you, Mike. I think last year, I believe we had an all time high in viewership. So, this year would be another all time high. Is this beyond the trend that we're already on? Um, obviously, the storyline, the headline is that the Taylor Swift viewership is spiking it quite a bit. Were we already on a trajectory to have an all-time high this year? You know, do we expect an all-time high next year, regardless of Taylor Swift's involvement or you know presence at the Super Bowl, or, or is this truly off the charts in a way that you know we don't believe we'll see again until all the stars align like they did on Sunday? 
I don't know, Doug. I, I really don't. I mean, you know, it's I, I look at this and I think, like I said, I think this is a peak. For, this may be the peak for the NFL. And, and frankly, let's say the numbers start to come in at below 120 million. I think the NFL is really used to they're used to winning. They're used to dominating, right? And and so they come back if they come back and get a number of 108 million. I think that's really gonna. I think that's going to almost hurt their psyche, right? I mean, the NFL has got for the- Ravens versus Lions next year. Yeah. <laughs> well, and who knows, right? I mean, that's the thing. The Chiefs are, yeah, the Chiefs are a funny thing, right? Because they are, they're not. You know that I don't rate them as a great fan base. I don't put them up there with the Cowboys and the Patriots, et cetera. But Mahomes is clearly the face of the league at the moment, right? So he is the biggest star. And then Kelsey has been elevated to probably the league's second biggest star in terms of people who, you know, the the general public knowing who someone is. So they did have the two biggest stars in the game. And, you know, maybe you get the West Coast market. So, I mean, but to be honest with you, Doug, when I go back and I look at the numbers, there seems to be some randomness. They they don't seem to – it's not like, oh, we got – you know, we got two mega markets, and so we get a record number. I think a lot of it is the the narratives, how much they capture the imagination, the star power of the quarterbacks in particular, the star power of a tight end, oddly, in 2024. Uh, but, yeah, look, this is the Taylor Swift Super Bowl. I mean, this this was the, the Swifty narrative. Bowl. Yeah, the Swifty Bowl. Yeah, and kind of predictable on – the internet you had your share of folks who were defensive of the Swifties saying you know this is great my daughter's watching the Super Bowl shame on you if you think that's a bad thing and then you have the this is terrible for the sport crowd which we've seen all year long and maybe your daughter should be doing her homework sir I mean I don't know (laughs) yeah and (laughs) Taylor Swift chugging beer at the game maybe winning over some football fans there, there's. I, I would say with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift s- seem to be divisive to some degree in the football community. Jason Kelsey is the guy who... Oh, Doug, I, I'm turning on Jason Kelsey this week. You're turning <laughs> on him? Yeah. What did he do? It was the overalls. The Are it you talking the- about the hangover look that he showed up in? Oh, I mean, he, 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 he did a wardrobe change, Doug. He showed up looking like the guy from The Hangover and then I think changed into chief overalls for the game. Right. Okay. This is not, you know, he's playing a role. He is this playing is a role. Not- and if you saw the videos of him after the Super Bowl when Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey were clubbing in Las Vegas and s- several times you'll see videos where the camera pans over and there's Jason Kelsey having the time of his life all by himself, <laughs> just dancing his heart out next to Marshmallow. I mean, I I think that he's probably, with the exception of Mike, universally loved. He he kind of became America's sweetheart in a postseason where his team underperformed. So, did not see that one coming this year. Did not see Jason Kelsey becoming a household name in the NFL and a beloved member of the football community. You know, I'm looking at the trends, so I'm making the prediction that you know the public will. I, th- I just think the public's going to wear out on the Kelsey's pretty pretty so quick. The whole Kelsey Swift phenomenon obviously boosted numbers to some degree this year. Interest in the NFL. Do we expect 
that to wear off like let's say that they were to stay together let's say they get married you know let's say taylor swift's always in the picture with the nfl are the chiefs forever gonna have the swifties watching all of their games tuning in obsessively posting videos you know completely engaged more so than most nfl fans are or does that affect it's almost like is it a novelty effect where it kind of wears off and the interest dies down or is that going to just sustain as long as she's in the mix with professional sports and and who's to say it's you know another team or another player or whatnot down the road her fan base is such an interesting like just the, way you said, just the way you said that i was like the taylor was, was going to be dating a different player next year I, the kardashians kind of not to say there's too much similarity there but they certainly paved the way for <laughs> professional sports dating and yeah. fandom doug let me throw this let me answer by throwing the question back to you taylor swift is 34 years old okay she has dominated the grammys she's had one of the biggest tours if not the biggest tour that anyone can remember she re-recorded all of her music and the the old music sold again because the the fans wanted her to own right. the music and, and look I, I bring up the the age of 34 that it, it's funny right you, you're gen z so you've always been the focal point for the marketers well guess who's slipping in now gen alpha is slip, slipping in is gen alpha going to fall in love with this woman that's older than their math teacher or sorry their history teacher <laughs> it's a good question i will say i i am certain that her team is on top of that you you mentioned that i'm gen z i'm kind of on the fringe of gen z and millennial taylor swift was a millennial artist like that was right. her demographic when i was in high school she was making songs about being in high school you know like her stuff was geared toward millennials and so the fact that's that that's my era. <laughs> so the fact that she's already kind of branched beyond her her initial target generation into Gen Z, and and I wouldn't say she's like the Gen Z artist. I mean, Gen Z's, you know, they've got Olivia Rodrigo, and they, I mean, they've got a, a handful. She's kind of more in that like Justin Bieber crowd. Like her her target audience is in that same group of girls but nonetheless it seems like she's been successful at extending her reach and her fandom into the next generation and so who's to say it doesn't continue that way i'm gonna say it nothing lasts forever pop stars do not when was madonna's latest big hit is madonna relevant to the to the high school set absolutely not <laughs> Britney Spears I'm going down. I mean the closest thing I can think is like Michael Jackson kind of had this appeal yeah. but even even Michael Jackson had albums that were kind of duds or that you know where, where he wasn't there were eras to I, use her I terminology bet, where he wasn't the guy I'll bet you there was a time when Frank Sinatra was a legitimate you know was the coolest guy for the youth right this stuff this stuff just doesn't last right i mean that's this this is the thing about fandom for really anything that isn't sports sports is permanent the georgia bulldogs of 1985 are essentially the same as the georgia bulldogs of 2025 right we're rooting for the clothes everything else has a fashion aspect to it 
right? You you look at the it's one of my favorite things to do in, in class is you look at the music that was top of the charts in 1975, and then you look at it in you know 2023, and the and look and the kids in the class will laugh at the stuff that was played in 2025, and my thought on all of it is people will literally watch whatever is put in front of them, right? That there is no, there is no grand evolution. So look, Taylor Swift might be the biggest thing in the world next year, but she might not be right. And odds are in five years, she will not be, but you know, there are a few think. I mean, think about the, let's, I mean, deviate for a second. We're, we're sort of off, off the res. Well, we're in a different direction for the moment. I mean, how many artists truly have those, 50-year careers. I'll tell you who uh-huh. doesn't. Usher. Usher. Because you, and and you could say this about a number of artists and Super Bowl performers over the years. He's performing My Boo and uh, some of these songs that pretty much anyone under the age of 25, they don't know any of them. They've heard Yeah, maybe, and like the movie Hitch or, for, you know, just at, at a party where they threw a, yeah. played a throwback at a wedding. But beyond I, that... I, I think that a lot of those songs last night were totally irrelevant to Gen want, Z and Gen Alpha. It, but I want to interrupt. Right. Right. So he's he's got a tight window. Yeah. And I mean, it's, there's a number of artists. Justin Timberlake has an album coming out. He's been, quote unquote, canceled in recent years due to things that happened between he and Britney Spears 20 years ago. He and Janet Jackson at the Super Bowl. He's been, he's been, hold on. He's been canceled for the Janet Jackson thing and stuff he did to Britney. Yes. And, and in hindsight too. So it's like kind of me too movement thing. Like now things have changed and, and he's kind of been rebranded by the media as this. Uh, Can I ask, what did he do to Britney? Um, she had a memoir come out and supposedly he cheated on her and while he was on tour or whatever. And then he made a song about her cheating on him. So, you know, the the term gaslighting gets thrown around. This is all alleged. So anyway, this is a person who even 10 years ago, but especially 15, 20 years ago would be on Jimmy Fallon five nights in a row before his album comes out would host SNL would be the musical guest on SNL. He would do the Grammys. He would do the Super Bowl, and he was performing at the Victoria's Secret fashion show. He was like the funny guy, the sexy guy, that Mr. Everything. He was in movies. You know, he was in the social network. He was having number one hits. He was winning all the Grammys, and he's quote-unquote canceled now. Like, he releases uh, a single, and Britney Spears' single from 10 years ago goes to number one because her fans want to stick it to him, and and people have kind of... Pan, yeah. they, they've panned him as this like washed you know guy that's trying too hard to be cool and and let me just say that i'm a fan of his music of his performing all of that like i i'll be at the tour he, that's my taylor swift but it's interesting to see that you know 20 years ago he, he kind of was taylor swift in the sense of everyone adored the guy he was oh. mr everything and some stuff happens. I don't know. And and now his music is viewed as inferior. His performing is viewed as inferior to what it used to be. And it may or may not be, but it's just a classic example of what you're talking about of, you know, some of this is fashion. And I think to make something beyond fashion, you almost have to make like a religion, which kind of 
kind of seems like the Swifties. As I listen to this, and th- this is something I've been thinking about for uh, for a, for a bit now. That you know, just the differences in the differences in fandom, right? Yeah, between between the genders, because the Taylor Swift fandom really does have a different feel to it than. Look, I, I don't think you are going to go online. If Justin Timberlake got into a fight on social media, I don't think you're going online to back Justin up. I just don't think that's how most male fans work. But And if you did, it would probably be... I'm not, I'll say this. I'm not watching all of Jessica Bale's movies because she's married to Justin Timberlake. And now I owe it to Justin to support his wife, which is right. kind of what we've seen with the Swifties. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's it. That's the other part of it, right? That the Swifties are all rooting for Taylor's boyfriend, number 87, right? But I don't think any of the Chiefs, Kelsey's fans and the Chiefs fans are buying Taylor's music, right? There there's yeah. That's these fundamental differences that people want to you know they often want to pretend they don't they don't exist, but I think it all comes back to this to the same point of so much of this st- stuff has got to be temporary. And even if it's not temporary, it's going to change. So, you know, I mentioned some of these people with long careers. I, I tend to think of like Elton John is a name that comes up. Yep. You know, that guy had it going for 50 50 plus years. Share Oddly, had a really long run. Barbara Streisand, Beyonce is going to have a really mm-hmm. long run, but the character of the run changes. You know, right? My favorite is U two, iconic rock band, tons of hits, excellent musicianship, influenced a lot of modern music, particularly in the rock genre, uh, but even in the pop genre. And there was a time when. Their album, their new album, was automatically downloaded to everyone's phone that had an iPhone. And people were irate because it took up storage on their phone. I mean, a little bit of storage, you know? And, you know, maybe 1% of your phone's capacity now had the U2 album on it. And people were irate because either they didn't know who they were, they thought they were irrelevant, they felt like, you know, and this is back when music was sold. So this was iTunes saying, "Hey, here's U2's new album for free," and people were not happy about it. Most people they didn't they didn't care. U2's old guys now. We don't want to hear their new stuff. That was kind of the mindset of the majority of Americans, and it was fascinating to me because I'm like, this is a group of you know these guys are gonna be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, these are these are the, to see them on tour. That was the biggest when I was when I was a child i remember when they they had the album how to dismantle an atomic bomb they had a song called vertigo on there and their tour was the tour to go to they were doing stadiums it was the most expensive ticket in music to go see and then and they go from that and somehow in a 10 20 year period to people are upset about having access to their music for free well doug i'll give you another one every year when i run this next generation fandom survey I have a list of celebrities, and one of the celebrities I've had on there for years is Bruce Springsteen. Every year when I'm updating this, I go to my class of undergraduates, and I say, who belongs off this list? And they always focus on this guy, Springsteen, as completely irrelevant. I think you could argue that Springsteen is kind of at that same level as a Michael Jackson in terms of being an American musical icon and they got no patience for this <laughs> right that it's just 
and, and look, I, I suspect Springsteen could still go out and tour and fill up, you know, maybe not stadiums, but fill up significant arenas yep. at an amazing price point. But it just well, that that was something I found interesting about Justin Timberlake, who's canceled. Society doesn't like him anymore. Blah blah blah. His new tour, you know, I was looking at tickets because they announced tickets, and I've seen them before. It's an amazing show, and and they announced tickets a week or two ago, and they were unbel- I mean, it was like, yeah, I, I don't know who's going to be able to afford this. So on the public mm-hmm. side, this guy's canceled, and we're not allowed to like him, and on the you know, you look at the supply and demand for a show and it's impossible to get a ticket unless you're, you know, in the <laughs> 1% club. And so, and you've seen that with guys like, like Kanye West, who also released music right before the Super Bowl, kind of quietly and, you know, big canceled, but you know, the album's number one, you know, he's selling merch left and right. I'm sure if he did a tour, it'll sell out all the arenas. And so th- that's an interesting aspect of all of this so that like there's still a niche there's where those guys are dominating but to have that taylor swift kind of like moment that just lasts where you are the center of the universe because there was a time when kanye west was that guy he had three albums in a row that were deemed as classics by just about everybody that had songs that played at every party every wedding etc and now he's canceled. He's got an album that, you know, with a guy named Ty Dolla Sign that does well on the charts, but you're not going to hear those songs on the radio. You're not going to hear them on the wedding. You're not sure not going to see him on the Super Bowl and you're not going to have people following his dating life <laughs> like they did in, you know, in the early 2000s. Okay. And, and you sort of indirectly bring up a good point in all of this. And that, and I think this came up, this has come up in past years when we talk about the Super Bowl halftime show in particular. So I, I mentioned as we were doing the countdown for the show, right, that there's a I was looking at a trend on TikTok right. about called White Family Halftime Show and the reaction to look, you, you as you were talking about Kanye and you said he's on tour with some guy, right? Some name yeah. that sort of went through my yeah. head. I mean, that's what this almost all starts to feel like, and again, you know, it's one of the continuing themes in all this, all our discussions about fandom is there are no more unifiers. Yeah. And so if, if Usher is only really exciting to millennials and not to baby boomers and maybe to, maybe to some gen X, but maybe people argue they're sort of pretending trying to, I mean, part of it is it's interesting, right? The phenomena of people trying to get into music that is not their own and, and sort of dance along when it's like, you don't know the songs, right? But for, for someone like me, that's not going to, not going to play along. I, I watched that halftime show. Well, and I'll say two things. So I didn't, you know, some of the music sounded familiar. Don't really know it. But I'll tell you this other thing. I'm kind of sick of this format of I'm going to play, what, four songs running from set to set on roller skates. Changing outfits three times. And and bringing out like seven different cameos. Yeah. I I feel like I've seen it. You know, this is just over and over again the same thing. So uh, A lot like the ads. A lot like the ads. (laughs) Yeah. um, Okay, so yeah, I don't know. And look, I, I I don't really rate the halftime show because again, 
It's not for me. Right. I accept that. But I also feel free to say, if you're not doing a show for me, then I don't need to give a damn about what you're doing. Right. So it's a, it's a, there's two sides to that. Yeah. But I did a search and it seems like the reviews are sort of mixed on the Usher show. So, so on my end, I felt meh about it. I was just kind of like indifferent, but I also acknowledged like this wasn't the music that I like. This wasn't instrumental to my life in any way. This wasn't the artist that, you know, I'm, I'm super passionate about. And so I, I was kind of curious to see what like on social media, what people were saying. And for the majority, it felt like, and then again, this is my demographic, my friends, you know, I'm. 28 years old a lot of people grew up listening to usher and i kept saying that was unbelievable that was that was one of the best shows that was one it was like there was only one opinion you could have if you were my if i were to go out and say yeah i'm not gonna lie guys i thought it was pretty mediocre i would have gotten you know crushed in the comments section or in the you know whatever and so it's interesting how it can be so engaging such a winner for such a small group of people and then for a lot of other people it's completely uninteresting it's hard to remember like has there been you know outside of maybe michael jackson and prince who's done a super bowl where everyone was like yeah that was awesome doug i I don't even what do you even call these performances like i said where they're they're running from one end of the stage to another there's all these props all these cameos there's 200 people on the field I mean, it's almost like this weird blend of like musical theater combined with, <laughs> with what the artist does. Yeah, I I don't know, but I do know one Super Bowl halftime show that was well received by critics was the Nickelodeon presentation of this game had SpongeBob do the halftime show, which was a nod to an old episode of SpongeBob. I don't know, Mike, if you saw any of the footage from that presentation completely unhinged the nickelodeon super bowl they've got i I didn't it's i didn't flip over to that at all it's completely set in spongebob's little world you've got i mean it's for the most add audience you can imagine there's like 14 things going on at once you know all these voice actors kind of amazing that that's a thing and i'm curious like with the rating spike, I'm curious how much stuff like that contributes. Like, are they getting like the eight and under audience up by 10% with the Nickelodeon to help set all time highs for the Super Bowl? Really kind of interesting moving toward more of a model where because everything's so fragmented, you have different broadcasts for different types of audiences of the same event. But Doug, they're moving to a model where this is about show business, not about sports. Well, clearly, <laughs> when you've got SpongeBob SquarePants and Patrick Starr as your sideline reporter, yeah, I'm not going to make any. I'm not going to make any guesses as to the long term impact of that. You know, are they? Because again, you're trying to acquire a customer at age eight via SpongeBob, so that he is watching the Super Bowl at age eighty. I don't know, right? I mean, I, I understand the theory. I understand how you could be at at the NFL and and talk about this this home run that you've pulled off with Nickelodeon and look at all this look at all this press and look at all this exposure. Does it do what you think you're doing? I have no look. I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea. Which tells me that 
it's it, it, they're they're working on a theory. I remember Doug the first Super Bowl I remember it was the I think it was the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Dallas Cowboys and it was the one where you know Bradshaw kept throwing the ball downfield to Lynn Swan and he's making these juggling catches. I'm sure you've seen some of these these highlights on NFL yeah. films. And yeah, that that's really I remember some of that. That's pretty impactful. I don't know you know, if Patrick Starr is doing the commentary, I, I don't know. Yeah, and I'll say from my experience, first off, my first Super Bowl memory is we, we had a house full of guys. My older brother had a birthday party, house full of guys watching the game. You know, we're all 8 to 10, somewhere in that range. Halftime show, Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we're like running around the house. Like, can you believe that? You know, parents are frantically <laughs> trying to explain to the other parents why their child's going to, you know, go home and uh, t- tell them what they saw on TV with the battle family. Just just a complete, you know, a complete one of those moments in, in pop culture. It's like, where were you when that happened? And so that's why that's one of my, but beyond that, uh, beyond that memory, you know, I remember watching Tom Brady drive down the field against the Rams and Kurt Warner. And, you know, I remember the football and I was a kid and it's like, they didn't dumb it down for me. I learned to appreciate the sport and it probably contributed to me becoming the fan that I became. And it's like, if they had watered it down because they thought that, you know, I wasn't capable of just enjoying football for what it is, and maybe it needed like some Lego guys running around and, you know, Buzz Lightyear doing a touch, a TikTok dance in the end zone after a touchdown or something. I don't know. Maybe I would have loved it, but maybe I would have just like become more of a Buzz Lightyear fan and and the football would have been so secondary that. You know, it didn't win my attention. I have no idea, but it, it's just such an interesting strategy. And I think, if nothing else, for the NFL and for Nickelodeon, it's just a great way to have like little viral moments on social media because there were several last night from that. But beyond that, it seems kind of like another novelty that, you know, long term might not have that much. And I think that's a good way to put it because do these viral moments actually, can you have viral moments that don't matter? Can you have yeah. viral moments that are kind of, harmful harmful to building the big the big nfl system right the big nfl the big nfl monster not sure where i want to go next in the conversation doug because i want to i want to talk about ice spice (laughs) but i don't want to talk about ice spice because (laughs) it goes right to you know it, it goes right to Politics, let's say. And again, how great is that? Someone named Ice Spice shows up to the Super Bowl with this beer chugging pop star, Taylor Swift. And it ends up being all about politics where the right wingers are accusing her of being a Satanist. Right. Yes, I I did see that on Twitter. (laughs) And then there is this slew of articles from of various media outlets, more highly respected media outlets claiming that it's all nonsense, but she does seem to be wearing an inverted cross, which does seem to be associated with anti-Christian or, or satanic sure. yeah. rituals. I, well, I think there were some hand signs that she threw yeah, up. There were some hand signs yeah. of like, right. Of, yeah. of the, the horns. So I, I find myself 
just again, this is why part of me says I think I feel like we've hit a peak because I don't know what's after this because we've got you know Jesus washes feet ads and then we're going to Ice Spice who may be flashing <laughs> satanic symbols. <laughs> Um, my first comment is actually on the Jesus washes feet ads. That was probably the most controversial ad, not for the reason that you would expect. I I think that on my timeline, my non-Christian friends were probably less upset about that than my Christian friends. So it seemed to kind of offend almost everyone. And I'm not sure, you know, on the one hand, you would see that it was heretical. And on the other hand, you would see that the money actually goes to um, LGBTQ hate groups or, or things like that. And so I was seeing both sides of it and I was like, is anybody happy? Like, is this doing anything for anybody? So that was such an interesting $14 million uh, expense last night. Okay. Let me follow up with that. Okay. According to the Kellogg, Kellogg Graduate School of Management, where I got my PhD at Northwestern University, they do an ad review that gets picked up by a lot of media outlets he gets us was one of their lowest ranked ads, and they gave it a D. Well, here's my thing, Mike. The the from from a marketing advertising perspective, purely okay. The messaging of it seems so shallow and, and simple that it's like if you're in the marketing quote unquote marketing funnel, it's really just ways raising awareness. Right, you're at the awareness stage in the marketing funnel. That was my impression of that ad, which there were several. I mean, there, were, there was a plethora of ads right last night, and the purpose was to raise awareness. And like Timu or whatever that was, they certainly raised awareness. I didn't know that that was a thing, and I googled it because I was curious. And what is this? I mean, I thought it was stupid, but it, it did raise awareness. This also was raising awareness. It was just raising awareness for the most famous public figure in in history or in the United States, at least in history, as far as it's not like there's a lack of awareness. And so that was such an interesting marketing strategy where I still don't really understand what the end goal was and managed to offend as many Christians as non-Christians in the process. So it was, it's amazing to me that those happen every year. I have no idea where that money comes from, but all that to say, I mean, the, Look, I mean, people don't want to talk about it. They want to say it's like a cliche, cliche thing to say. There is clearly still a culture war going on. Now, one <laughs> side has obviously just about won the culture war. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. I see those. I see that ads. The, the the he gets us ad. I have no idea what they're going for. Right, <laughs> and, and so it almost seems like an effort to say, well, we got to, we got to say something, right? We got to, we got to be where the crowds are. Yeah. We got to put something out there. But uh, yeah, I, they, you, you can tell they're almost walking into, they're like walking into a buzzsaw with that, right? Because any expressions related to Jesus or Christianity in that kind of popular culture space, it's hard to imagine them resonating with people. Well, right? it's, it's, what's interesting to me, like, I think, you would expect, you know, it's going to offend or cause controversy in some way if, if all they do is just say Jesus loves you. What's interesting to me is they didn't go the Jesus loves you route. They didn't go the route that's just like not offensive to Christians also or impossible. You know, they went a route that was inevitably w- with what they portrayed and how they portrayed it going to cause division 
on that side of things as well. And so it wasn't just a black good versus evil culture war type thing where it was like, oh, it caused interdivision in addition to this culture war, which like you said, with, you know, I spice and, and the controversy about, or, you know, whether or not I'll say this, there's people who will interpret anything as Satanist. And I saw it like at the Grammys last week, Olivia Rodrigo performed a song and there's blood in the background. And I saw on Twitter people saying, you know, okay. this is all Satanist. They're brainwashing your children into worshiping the devil, you know, but isn't that, I mean, geez, I don't, this, this show is going in a very different direction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but Doug, this guy like Lil, Lil Nas X yeah. is explicitly bringing Satan into. Well, he's, he's tapping into that and, you know, making headlines with the fact that he knows there's going to be controversy and that all press is good press for someone like him. And so, okay, well, and again, I'm devil's advocate here. Literally. Uh, pun it, pun it, <laughs> it's a curious situation where I suppose you could make the argument that satanic imagery is anti-Christian explicitly. Yes. Right. But there seems to be a lot of defenders of it of, oh, it's not that big a deal. Or it's simply not like it's just a fashion thing or like the like okay. that's like a logo. It's not an upside down cross or it's, uh, you know, it's she's just doing like a gang sign or something. It's not a satanic sign or she's I don't know. It's I, I hate I hate what about But is there another group out there besides Christians where someone could play with an anti group symbol and say, oh, it's just fashion? I mean, you don't do that with, I'm not even going to name the community that you don't do that with. Else, right? So let's, let's, I mean, let's sort of bring this back. So what's interesting about all this is that this is the Super Bowl and we've got all this stuff going on on the periphery of the Super Bowl. If I'm the NFL, and I don't think the NFL particularly cares about this kind of stuff on the periphery. If I'm the NFL, God, I am really worried about the fact that my musical halftime act is only relevant to, you know, a quarter of my audience that I've got, you know, I've got controversial ads about, you know, he gets us. I and think then I've for got, it to be relevant. Ice, you know, yeah. sit, ice spice giving horns next to Taylor Swift chugging beers. <laughs> I, I'm getting, so I, I find myself in this strange position. We're setting a ratings record. But God, I don't like a lot of the details. Yeah, I also know people who are horrified by Taylor Swift chugging beers because she is setting an example for young girls. And I also know people who loved it and actually who she won over with that. So everything's divisive. I was going to say, I can't think of an artist who would truly be uh, universally appealing enough to reach more than like a quarter of the Super Bowl audience. And that gets back to that. It, it might come to a point where they're having four different broadcasts and one of them's Coldplay, one of them's Ice Spice, and one of them's, you know, Usher. And what, I mean, you've, you've got kind of your different segments or audiences and, and give them options. But getting back to Ice Spice, she's such an interesting artist or character in the last year, not someone anyone seemed to know of a year ago. And now it's like, it feels like as a culture, we're being force fed Ice Spice. Like, does she have this like organic underground fandom that just loves her stuff? Or when you look at her, I, I just typed in Ice Spice biggest hits. You got in ha mood you got a song called munch you got a song called actin a smoochie gangsta boo 
I mean, it's a, uh, it's, these aren't songs that we're all familiar with. You know, this is, if she's performing the halftime show, you know, there might be 3% of the audience that, <laughs> that knows any of the songs. And yet I see her everywhere now at the Grammys. She seemed to be everywhere. She's somehow in Taylor Swift's crew now. I think she has a feature on Taylor Swift's last album and maybe her new album. She's, she somehow got in. It feels like somebody just decided she's going to be famous and she's famous, but I would love to learn more about, you know, cause clearly there's probably a lot more going on than that. That's just how it feels for someone that's not in her target audience. But I, I'm curious how someone like her, like was she TikTok famous? Is that her thing? And she kind of rose up the ranks to being like Taylor Swift's right hand girl in her press box or in the, in the box at the Super Bowl. Um, Doug, all I'll say is as you get older, more and more popular culture feels everything way. feels like that <laughs> and it's that it's manufactured right look i suspect that i suspect that i mean you're a big music guy yeah. but i suspect that music has gotten more and more manufactured over time right that the the idea of a couple of guys form a band and start playing in their garage and then start playing a local club neighborhood yeah and build up that way I don't think that exists anymore, right? Maybe the organic version is TikTok. You have a breakthrough on TikTok, yeah. but then you know there's like the hidden hand of the algorithm. Well, right? and that's that's like a whole nother conversation of every recording artist I know, and I I know quite a few who are who are real talented. They spend more time trying to figure out the algorithms on Instagram and TikTok than they do recording music, and it's it's kind of sad, but that that's just the way it works now and it's like you've got to be a social media influencer to make it in the music industry and so i mean i had someone tell me someone in the industry tell me one time that they did not think that today if you assembled the exact same band that is coldplay that they would ever get off the ground because no regardless of the music they're making and so and that's not to say that the people who break through aren't making good music it's just that they have to focus so much on the marketing side of things and on the social media side of things that you know it's almost like the music becomes secondary as far as the at least the time that they spend well and i'll just push back on you and then we can switch to what ads you did like that goes to the heart of it right and again so at age 56 I look at my friends and you know what they're still listening to? Some of them from high school, they're still listening listen, to Van Halen. Yeah. Right? I listen I listen to the same artists I grew up listening to. I'm starting right. to get it. So in, in a lot of ways, you know, you can seed and you know, people will listen to what's out there, whether it's the Carpenters in the 19s, you know, in the 1970s to Van Halen in the 80s to you know, Pearl Jam and Nirvana in the 90s. Right? It's there, there's no way it's almost like this myth of like this evolution to something better and better. It's just, it's, it's what we listen to. Look, it's, I talk a lot about, you know, shared stories in sports. You share those musical artists and those songs with, with your peers, right? You, they, they're the, the sound, they're literally the soundtrack for your high school memories. Right. Yeah. So it's just, so, so, okay. So Doug, what ads did you like? Okay. I, I have one, actually have two favorites uh, let me preface by saying most ads i don't like i i find it amazing that brands and ad agencies pour millions of dollars and come up with what they come up with there's nothing more disappointing though than a brand that just runs one of their normal ads during the oh. super bowl 
time out. The most disappointing thing in the Super Bowl is Gronk's kick of destiny. <laughs> You're a professional Why? athlete, dude. But but they, they do it such a poor way in terms of like the lead up to it. It's like suddenly, here's Gronk. Yeah. Always let him take the kick. They don't do as much as game day does it with like these kids yeah. on these college campuses. Also, it felt so canned and forced because they ran an ad afterwards with people's reaction to him missing it. And it was like, my parents said, oh, it was all staged. And it's... Okay, but what, what ads did you like? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, ads that I like. Ads that I like. So I didn't like a lot of ads. Amazed by how bad a lot of the majority of the ads are. Really impressed by the fact that some companies seem kind of lazy to just throw their regular ad in a Super Bowl slot. And just why film another ad when we've got an ad someone's, you know, everyone's already seen. But my favorite ad was Dung Kings with uh, Ben Affleck, Tom Brady, Matt Damon, the Boston Boys, Jennifer Lopez, J-Lo, who I believe she has a new album coming out. And I think they kind of like subtly promoted that in there as well, which I I found that interesting because the Beyonce ad did the same thing. She actually Beyonce released two new singles right after that ad aired. So I kind of loved that. But yeah, Ben Affleck showing up to JLo's studio session, wanting to earn a feature on the album, bringing his boy band, which features Tom Brady, Matt Damon in the mix. You know, Matt telling him, you know, sometimes it's hard to be your friend. And at the end, telling him, you know, when I, I something along the lines of, you know, I told you I'd do anything for you, and this is anything. He's in a Dunkin' Donuts jumpsuit. Uh, okay. looking like an idiot at JLo studio as JLo clearly is embarrassed by Ben Affleck's actions. And okay. yeah, I became a fan of Dunkin' Donuts with that. They also had Jack Harlow and someone named Fat Joe in those. Yeah. So ad. Jack Harlow was dropping off Ben Affleck and he was telling him, I don't think you should do this. You know, he was kind of like Ben Affleck's mentor and Ben Affleck's this overconfident wannabe rapper if you will and like like many wannabe rappers are and now i saw some other stuff man and i i don't i i don't look i refuse to chain myself to the tv and watch all the ads so maybe they had multiple ads in there but they seem to be putting a bunch of stuff on social media as well with like tom brady throwing a football through a, a hoop versus affleck and, and matt damon uh i kind of thought Brady largely saved that ad. It kind of felt like Matt Damon did. Yeah. <laughs> I could. But it, I mean, what's interesting to me about this one is I, I agree with you. It was, it was a pretty good one, but this formula of let's get a bunch of celebrities and kind of put them in a situation. It has started to feel like that's what all these ads are. Yeah. So for that one to work, they, they brought a lot of star power, right? And I also think the difference in that one and some of the other ones is it was actually funny. Like it would have been funny if you had just gotten SNL cast members to do it, but it was funnier knowing that this is Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, who are somewhat of a dynamic duo. And of course, Tom Brady in the mix as kind of the Boston trio made it. I saw a lot of uh, comments that, you know, it should have included Mark Wahlberg as well to really top it off. But you know, I, I think the difference in this one and, and some of the ones we've seen over the years, because you'll see, I don't know what it was last year, where it was like Peyton Manning and Serena Williams and like Megan Rapino or like, you know, just be like a bunch of random people that you've seen before. And there's no plot. There's no, I mean, this had a full plot, you know, this had a beginning, middle and end and it was funny. 
Okay, what else do you like? Yeah, so this one, I don't know if a lot of people saw this because it actually aired a little bit before the game. But I was tuned in watching the pregame, and there was an ad for YouTube TV NFL Sunday ticket. And you had the Eagles, the Seahawks, I'm trying to think, maybe the Cardinal. There there were a number of bird-based NFL teams with the actual players. Yeah, yeah. And they were talking about how you know, it's that time of year. They're start the Seahawks are starting to migrate and, and and they show the players flying in the air and flapping their wings and behaving like whatever bird their team is, the Falcons. And then talking about, but as the seasons change, inevitably they'll be right back here this time next year. And so tune in for Sunday ticket. I thought it was really clever. I thought it was hilarious to see some of the players like behaving like the mascot. And I thought that was a, a clever ad i thought michael sarah's sarah vay ad was funny but like that's one that some people in different demographics in the room i was in just didn't get <laughs> so i was like i guess i've seen him in enough movies to think it was funny i know a lot of people that thought arnold schwarzenegger's was funny i didn't find it that funny i don't know why he's in so many ads i guess and i just am fatigued from arnold schwarzenegger well, and again you know the schwarzenegger and devito one is kind of classic super bowl advertising right yeah so you know, they did a movie or two back in the 80s. And so you bring these guys back, put them with, what was, I think it was State Farm. Yeah, State Farm. But but again, it, that kind of approach feels very dated to me at this point, where it's like, okay, you got some celebrities. And- yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I felt. And beyond that, I mean, it felt like dud after dud. I'm trying to think, I know there's something I'm missing that was like good, but the fact that I can't remember it probably means it's not worth mentioning. Well, you know, one that's that stuck with me and not, not that I thought it was particularly good, was the Aubrey Plaza in the Mountain Dew commercial. Where and, and simply because they had she's the having Ron a blast. Swanson, and they had the Ron Swanson character <laughs> sort of show up in the middle yeah. of that ad. Yeah. The one that definitely sticks with me, and, and I, I, I don't know if I said it to you in a past episode or if I said it to a class. I talk too much during these teaching semesters. But the Mayo cat, yeah, the helmet and this this girl, weird girl from SNL. This weird thing with the mayonnaise industry wants to essentially advertise itself by showing how gross it is. <laughs> by showing how gross it is. Yeah. I mean, if I look, I will give this away. Mayonnaise taste test challenge, reminiscent of the Coke Pep of the Pepsi taste challenge. Have people line up, taste Hellman's and Duke's mayonnaise. Can you imagine anything more repulsive? <laughs> you got people vomiting. Another one that was like almost a home run but it it felt like something was missing was the uber eats with jennifer aniston where you've got to forget something to remember something and and she forgot her her old co-star and you know you had several someone forgot his pants at work that kind of thing and what's great about that right is that so the millennials and gen z discovered friends right and they all watched friends religiously on on uh, Netflix, I guess, or wherever it was, and so it's like this callback to that. Ah, man, I don't know, David Schwimmer. <laughs> I just does, did that. that I think it, it for was, the Friends crowd, it it struck a chord. Yeah. Another one that's coming. See, I felt, I felt bad. I felt like God. You know, if anything, you want to play the reverse, right? Where she's gone on to these amazing heights, and he kind of hasn't. I mean, it's yeah. a band of. There's, but it almost felt like they were picking on the guy. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have been kind of funny if if he didn't remember her. Yeah, so one more that comes to mind that was kind of interesting because Paramount had some ads, I don't know, I think last year that I just didn't like. It was kind of an ongoing saga where, where each one was another chapter and it, it told a story and the story itself wasn't all that compelling, wasn't funny, wasn't you know anything. So when I saw, when I could tell that it was going to be a Paramount ad, I sort of tuned out. Um, and what brought me back in was when Creed, the band Creed, who is the butt of a lot of jokes, butt of a lot of jokes as a band. And I, I got to say, I love it when somebody will just own that. And, and there you have Creed, you know, clearly probably self-aware of the fact that it's kind of a joke that they're playing their music in this ad to motivate someone to, to throw a football over a mountain for whatever reason. But that, that did get a laugh out of me. And so that, which brings to mind going into the night, I was really curious to see what Bud Light would do given the year that they've had. And Budweiser went with the classic. It can't go wrong. You know, the dog and the horses and all that. Bud Light to me, I would have loved to see them own their mistakes in a humorous way, in a self-depreciating humor. They would have redeemed themselves for a lot of people, in my opinion, had they done that. And so that I was curious to see, but they've played it really, really safe ever since their whole debacle, obviously with the Peyton Manning ad campaign. And, and you know, I think of the beer companies, the messy ad was probably the biggest winner last night. Well, Kellogg gave Bud Light a C. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I felt like they could have stolen the show with if if it would have been risky, it would have been a roll of the dice. But if they had done something playing on the year that they've had and maybe making fun of their efforts to be something more than what they are, something different than what they are, I felt like it could have actually stolen the show. And so I was really curious going into the night to see what they would do. And it felt like, you know, again, they're playing it safe rather than taking an approach of drawing attention to that thing and kind of disarming people, they're just sort of hoping everybody forgets about it slowly and gradually over time. And it's probably the most risk averse strategy for them. And, you know, over time, we'll see how it pays out. It seems like there's still a good bit of people that are not fans. I'll be honest with you until the 2024 election (laughs) plays out. I suspect that they're probably risk aversion might be the right thing for them to do. Yeah. Kind of keep keep your head a little bit down. Yeah. Well, okay. that's, that seems Super to Bowl, be. Super Bowl's in the books. Another thought that I had while watching it, and look, I didn't enjoy it. I mean, the fact, <laughs> that, this, the fact that this thing takes five hours now right. kind of kills me. Yeah. I mean, it's, and as, as I'm watching this, I, I, I found myself with this thought that the NFL is, the NFL always wins, right? So 120 million people, maybe more, watch this thing. And I just think back to – I mean, the Super Bowl makes me a little bit nostalgic. So I just think back to the way the sports calendar used to work, right, where, okay, Super Bowl's over. Now it's time to talk about college basketball. And now – and after college basketball, then we talk about you know, major, major League Baseball opening day. Yeah. Then we talk about NBA finals. Then we talk about the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, right? And in and in the middle of all those things, we could take occasional breaks for the Indianapolis 500 and Wimbledon and the Masters. But now the NFL, it's almost now blanket, blanket coverage. We're going to move Draft. on to talk about free agency, combine, draft, 
draft, et cetera. So, you know, as I'm watching that, I'm thinking, well, what is, what is next? And, and, and this is, again, you know, almost returning to this theme of manufactured, but I'm going to say this in a dangerous way. Because what's up next? Okay, so I, I doubt that you saw this one. So they just set a record for the biggest audience at a professional women's volleyball game of something like 11,000 people. Was it before right? or after the Dove soap commercial? It was before the Dove commercial. Okay. But as I think about that number, right, there is clearly a push, a media-generated push to highlight and grow women's sports. There was also a line down the street to see Caitlin Clark potentially break the record. I don't know why Nebraska seems to be the hotbed for for women's sports, volleyball, and and basketball. It's because (laughs) Nebraska is such a progressive state. Exactly. (laughs) But, you know, as we go into middle of February, that gets us to March, right? And so the thing that I'm like really looking forward to, to see how this plays out is, I think this year's NCAA tournament is going to be really fascinating to watch because this may be the year where the women's tournament almost gets equal billing with the men's tournament, right? Because I I think back to what I see on my social media feeds, Caitlin Clark, Juju from USC, I don't know her last name, Angel Reese, in terms of the coaches, there's Coach Mulkey, there's Coach Gino, there's Dawn Staley. So the hype machine has really been built. We come due to March. Men's college basketball has kind of been dead in the in the water this year. I think this is going to be really, really interesting to watch how this plays out. So I'll take a contrarian view to you. I think the regular season is women's college basketball's time to shine because there are not stars in men. They're not established stars in men's college basketball like there are in women's because the established stars go pro. And I think that a lot of college basketball fans like myself, and I, I say college, I think a lot of casual college basketball fans like myself kind of understand that, you know, Duke and UNC are playing well. What does it matter in the grand scheme of things beyond the pride and stuff? You know, both these teams are going to be in the tournament. What really matters is what happens in the tournament. So a lot of people, it's kind of like the NBA playoffs, like the regular season games. Don't matter. A lot of people just tune in in March. And I think in March, the characters are established. The heroes are made almost in that first opening round, definitely that opening weekend of those first two games. And then you've got coaches and players and stories that the fans are following and it becomes, I think that's where it just totally trumps women's basketball, where it's like, you still got Angel Reese and, and Kaylin Clark, but I think the- I'm just saying you're wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just saying we're in new territory this year. For sure. In terms of how this, in terms of how the media coverage has worked. Yeah. I, I, I sort of think you're right, but I, I don't know. We should almost have a friendly wager on how close the ratings for the finals for the finals are between the men's tournament and the women's tournament. Because if Angel sorry, if I don't think Angel Reese is actually particularly relevant to drawing TV yeah. audience. But if Caitlin Clark is in that finals and the men's tournament doesn't catch fire and produce a star, that could be interesting. I think so. And I think with the men's I think the the men's tournament's got to have is uh, a Cinderella that the country falls in love in, with that stays in the tournament long enough. Um, because a lot of times, for me, as again, as a casual, 
I will <laughs> keep up with it until whatever team I've fallen in love with bows out and, you know, in the sweet 16. And then I don't care about UConn playing Marquette and the, you know, I don't, I don't care about these sort of blue blood types that are always there, but have different guys every year. It's a lot less interesting to me when there, than when there's some guy with a mustache or perhaps this year, a guy with goggles who, yeah. Who, have to learn that guy's name. Yeah, who's got his team going, and it's like, are they going to make the Final Four? What if they won it all? Like that's that's what's fun to me. So anyway, oh, the beauty of having that guy, uh, like I don't even know if the magazine exists, having that guy on half the cover and Caitlin Clark on the other half of the that cover. would be beautiful. That that would be like the college basketball power couple. I think they would overtake Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey as like. The greatest couple in sports. If only for our show, Doug. Only for <laughs> so, Mike. I, I do have one more thought on the actual game last night, which we haven't talked a ton about. Like we've talked about the, kind of the the marketing side of things a lot. The game. So, from a sports analytics standpoint, going into overtime, and the 49ers win the coin toss, and we know we we know the overtime rules, and they elect to get the ball. Though, right, a lot of the coverage suggests that the 49ers players did not know the overtime rules. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if they knew it, and I don't know, like, if they thought time might run out, or I don't know if they thought through, like, you do realize you're giving the other team the upper hand. Tony Romo raised the point that perhaps their defense is just worn down and they want to rest them for a series. But I was sitting there like, what are they doing? And sure enough, as it played out, you know, if you reverse it, first off, Kansas City probably would have punted after their three and out where they went for it on fourth down. And the Niners could have won on a field goal. And then on the flip side of that, you know, let's say the Chiefs go for it. They get it. They score a touchdown. Well, that gives the Niners an opportunity when they kicked a field goal instead to go for it on fourth down and see if they can tie the game up instead of guaranteeing they're going to lose with a field goal. And so that made no sense to me. And it just kind of brought back up the age old, you know, how much is analytics playing into this? How much of this is just like gut feel for Shanahan, who seems to have a knack for blowing leads in the Super Bowl? And what do the analytics say to do in that situation? Every everything I've heard seems to suggest that the analytics would tell you you always want the ball second. Okay, worst answer ever from a guy that teaches a class on sports analytics. I find it hard to get worked up about it. Okay, I, I really do because you know the analytics are just, and I think most of the analytics they're talking about are they're just looking at the percentages in terms of what's happened in the past. So, yeah, maybe the defense, they wanted to rest the defense. Maybe with a rookie quarterback, he didn't – or, sorry, not a rookie quarterback, but you know what I mean, a less experienced – perennial rookie quarterback. A, a less experienced quarterback that has not you know spent as much time on the bright lights that he didn't want him to have to start off by being down in a must-score situation. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? It, it's like I, I think – and frankly, like, because this came up a lot with the Lions in the playoffs yeah. as well. Yeah. Analytics are, look, I mean, so there's some core principles. Number one, analytics are always going to be incomplete, right? Because analytics are going to be based on percentages, or even if they're based on models, you're going to have a lot of omitted variables. You're not going to have emotion involved. You're not going to have personalities involved. So I find it hard to get too worked up about the, about the question, about the issues. I actually thought it was a little... I think it was Shanahan was saying that 
they talk to the analytics guys. So it's like they almost like got a real time feed. Oh, so from the it might have been influenced by their analytics. And I find that really disturbing, almost like that the analytics guys are in like are potentially almost on an, on an iPad or an earpiece saying, uh, no, you got to you, you got to go for two here or you yeah. got to they gotta got Microsoft the, Excel open up in the booth. You got to throw the ball to, you know, 15 yards to the left. Uh, right. I mean, that I, I look, I'm an analytics guy. I hope sports doesn't come to that. Well, I, it seems it seems like it's headed in that direction. My observation is that when something like Dan Campbell's, when he does something gutsy and it works, it's like, that's what makes him a great coach. And when it doesn't, it's like, why didn't he pay attention to the analytics? The analytics would tell you never do that. If he was just listening to the, you know, to the numbers, he would have never done that. And so that's my observation, but I think it'll be a ongoing conversation for forever at this point, because anytime someone listens to the analytics and, and it, goes wrong you know it's like when you ride in a self-driving tesla <laughs> you know it's like it's it's genius until it gets in an accident and then it's like doug it's gonna get even worse right because you, you think about a lot of what they talk about now analytics now seem to be based on percentages yeah maybe some really simple models to generate the percentage but when these all become these ais and people refuse to tell you how the ai algorithm actually works right what the data feed into the AI algorithm is, then what do you, you know, th- then what do you have, right? Well, the AI said to go for two and the coach overrode the AI. How could the coach overrode? We're, we're talking about like Wizard of Oz stuff, right? <laughs> let me, and let me make one other point in terms of this, because I think, I think this stuff about analytics ends up, it, it almost like empowers kind of the smart boys in the room that had a couple of stats classes oh, yeah. in, in college. You're talking about my brother and myself. Okay. <laughs> that can you imagine using analytics to tell you what quarterback to draft? Right. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't do it right. Because you know that the models and the data are incomplete that, Oh, well, we're going to go with Drake may because he's six foot five. He's 230. He threw this many touchdowns. He played in the ACC. That's just not how it's going to work. Right. Cause you as the GM have this bigger picture, a more holistic picture. And in some ways, you know, going for two punting the ball, it's not, I mean, it, it's closer to where you can kind of rely on the analytics, but it's, you know, but there's always going to be kind of this this wiggle room and all this stuff that the analytics. Let's just say the analytics are incomplete. I think Moneyball probably over, like, probably brought too much power to the analytics crowd yeah. because people see that and realize, wow, this stuff, you know, could be used to transform teams and find advantages that otherwise couldn't be found, <laughs> and and perhaps you know, too much is too much weight is put into that for, for some teams and franchises like Daryl Morey is kind of the classic example of, he's kind of known as like the godfather of analytics in the NBA. And he's made some really head scratching moves, uh, which are apparently backed by analytics that maybe common sense would have told uh, another GM who's not, you know, using the numbers so much, uh, not to make, let me say this in this, I, I feel like I'm lecturing the world. At, at this point, but in terms of analytics, the key in analytics is always having the decision maker know how the model works. So they know 
the potential shortcomings of the model. By and large, in practice, that's never how this goes. The analytics just becomes this black box that these whiz kids in the back room or the sub-basement have programmed and looked at all the data, and there's no real understanding of where the number is where the number is coming from because, frankly, people that are not engaged in statistics – oh, Doug, so I think you're going to know this. People that are not engaged in statistics find statistics boring and painful. <laughs> Right. All right. And you're so they kidding. Use on the, you know, they just look, they just, anyone that's worked in a corporation knows that oftentimes there's these numbers that are created, you know, that the, oh, well, we take a third of that, or we use a margin of 47%, or the forecast calls for 0.45% growth, right? And these numbers just become facts. And, and they're, that's it's like they're created out of thin air. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. They were. It's almost like the telephone game, where, where they, there's four layers between before they get to the person that's actually using the number. So I will never like. I don't think you've heard me criticize any of these guys, Dan Campbell or Shanahan, yeah. for the analytics throughout the playoffs because I just don't think that's. I just don't think that's appropriate. So you're not you a you're not a go for two every every time you score a touchdown kind of guy because the analytics say so. I mean, this this conversation just goes and like, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, so like one of the ones, like, who was the, like, wasn't there like a high school coach that would never punt? Yes, yes. Right. And he was very successful. Mine. And he was very successful. And I think he was one, he, I think he was in the go for two every time camp. Yeah. And so, his, and so his special teams guys didn't get a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, so there, there can be these, these regularities where it's like, yeah, people are making these systematic systematic mistakes and maybe you continue to make the systematic mistake because you're concerned if like well if i don't pump the ball from my own seven yard line <laughs> right i'm gonna get fired because it just it, it's a, it's a bad look so I, <laughs> it, you know so there's there's also the you know sometimes you can trust the numbers but you also got to worry about your career it's it's a big conversation again people don't actually uh, you know what? Well, why don't we why don't we leave it here? Because I th- I think what it boils down to is it ends up being this really challenging topic where a lot of times the decision makers don't understand what the models mean, what the deficiencies in the models are, and they also end up operating a little bit about you know kind of operating from from fear or from the the idea that the perceptions are going to make them make them look bad. So it's. There, there's also there's statistics there's human there's human elements to this there's just a lot going on all right sounds good all right. <laughs> so we'll we'll wrap here so we'll say fandomanalytics.com and till next week